Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly, your weekly author news show. You guys can tell I've been working on that. <laughs> I'm Ari McGee, joined as always by an implacable, imperceptible, incomparable. That's better than imperceptible. <laughs> squad of heroes. And that's right. You guys have graduated from experts to heroes. At some point, I'm going to need you to like save the city or fight crime. But for now, we'll just introduce you guys. First and foremost, the man not in the middle. I don't know. You're not in the middle. Mr. Nick Dacker. I'm here. That's about all I can say. Indeed you are. Indeed you are. Now, to keep with the man in the middle theme, we'll go to Mr. Jim Heskett. Hi, glad to be here. I get accused of being placable all the time, so I'm glad to see you sticking up for me, R.A. I got you, you, man. I got you. Don't worry, dude. I'm here. I'm on your team. And last but not least, the wonderful Pippa Warner. Hello. Did you see I had to think again about your last name? I'm going to ruin that forever now. Uh, you're going to be a freaking duchess forever. All right. Good times, guys. Good times. So, uh, listen, I got a quick thing before we get started, okay? I read this the other day, and I was embarrassed because I could not name them all, okay? Do you guys know, collectively, between the three of you, all of the parts of speech? Like, do you know how many parts of speech there are and what there are? I think so. What do you, can you give us an example of one? Noun is like one how of. granular are we getting? Is a gerund considered a separate part of speech, or is like no? I don't think it was that. I don't think it was that deep. I don't think okay. it was that noun, deep. verb, adjective, kind of stuff. Yeah. Adverb, adverb, yeah. right? That's four. Preposition, 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 article, article. conjunction, article. conjunction, and then there was Conglomerate. one more. Igneous, <laughs> metamorphic. Oh, man. Now I'm trying to remember the last one. I'm going to be way behind the ball here. I just assumed you guys would know everything. No, we do uh, the thing. We don't know how to do the thing. You know we what? You're not wrong. I don't know how the magic works. I just know that it works. Okay. So we said noun. Yeah. We said verb. pronoun. Yeah. We said verb. We said adjective. We said adverb. We said preposition. We said conjunction. And there's one more. Object. Mm-mm. What's a type of noun? Describes what the noun is in the sentence. Fair. Interjection. 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 So like, uh-huh. Hold on, hold on. I don't mean to interrupt you. Expletives. Oh, I know those. You know? I don't mean to interrupt you, but Taylor Swift had the best album of the year. I think that's what they mean by interjection. that's just a part of speech. I had no idea. I honestly didn't. I was like, wow. I feel awesome about my craft right now. I'm amazing at this. So in any event, now that we've all determined that we have no idea of all the parts of speech, let's get into our fabulous breaking news. No, 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 no. Try it again. Try it again. Try it again. I was hoping. So. I literally had it open, and then I was getting the news articles open so I could I could make sure I was on the ball. I know. I should have made a bigger like fuss it. so you noticed. You know what I mean? So I will own you that you, one. Like coming up, top of the hour, we'll have the news. That gives me a good like forty seven <laughs> minutes to get prepared. That's true. I got you, man. Next time I'll make sure I give us some lead time. So I figure one week's not enough lead time. We can do better next time. So all right, 
the first story that we have today, it comes to us from Mr. David Gogren. So we've talked about him a couple of times on the show. We've never really gotten too in depth. If you're listening to this and you don't subscribe to his email, you should do yourself a favor and listen to it. He has really in-depth information about a lot of topics, and he's just kind of a good guy to listen to, kind of get some advice from. So he has sent an email out called Slaying Email Myths, okay? So I feel like when I first was reading this, I thought, well, why should I mention this? You know, we've all got email lists. We all kind of understand the importance of these. But apparently, he references a recent survey of authors, and it showed that around half of them haven't started an email list yet or have less than 100 subscribers. So if you guys had to talk to our listeners and assume that these numbers are right and half of them have not started an email list, what would you tell them to kick them off of the edge to get going into that? Just do it 10 minutes a day. Set it up. Figure it out. Like, it's not as scary as you'd think, but I find email tends to be one of the things that I think, oh, God, I should go do an email. And then there's like 800 related tasks, and then I don't. Yeah. So don't be yeah. me. Do- That's my <laughs> advice. Don't be me. Do you find yourself, how frequent do you send out emails to your list? How frequently, I guess I should say? Less than once a month. Okay. Less than once a month. And what kind of responses do you tend to get? Like, your list based on how you've kind of, I don't mean that we train people, but like, quote unquote, train them to expect things from you. How often do they kind of respond back to you and start a conversation with you? Not often. And I am hoping to get that actually up and start using my email list differently and promoting it differently and all of that. I'm having my website redone right now. So nice. Good stuff, man. What about you, Jim? Well, I think what I like about this little email from David Gogren is that the survey blew my mind. And I think if you're a newer author and you haven't started your email list yet, maybe you've seen an article in the last few years from Polygon or The Verge or something that said, email is dead, long live Facebook Messenger, or here comes TikTok Messenger to destroy, to put the coffin in the nail of email. And I don't know if email is going to be here 30 years from now, but it'll still be here three years from now. So it is a good short and medium term strategy, at least until the technology changes so much because Facebook Messenger hasn't killed email. All other YouTube Messenger, any other form of communication hasn't killed email yet. So people still respond to emails. But I can understand if you were an author and maybe you don't come from a marketing world and you don't know about email that you might think it's more important to be active on Facebook than build your email list or... Instagram or TikTok or whatever the new thing is, that that's where you should put your time in building your following. And we've had the conversation before about building on rented land, but email is the closest thing you could have to owning something because you can always download a CSV of those email addresses, those sweet, sweet email addresses. And even a non-technical person like me knows how to download that and get those addresses and keep them just in case I need to jump ship and go somewhere else. Nick, what about you, man? I know we've talked about how you feel about emails coming inbound towards you from your readers. How often do you send Mm. things out to them? You know, before this hell of a year, I was probably once a week, sometimes a little more if I was getting a launch going. But I try to do about once a month right now. But that's just because that's not my typical MO. Normally, I'd say once a week is probably about what I want to do. Okay. And what if you don't have, say, a launch going on, what kind of stuff are you sending to your people to engage with them? You know, I found, strangely enough, people really appreciate the personal updates that have nothing to do with my books. It seems like they're engaging with that a lot more. 
And that, of course, doesn't lead to sales directly. But I think what happens is they are constantly reminded of me. I'm still there. I'm still around. And so when I do have a book launch, they're more apt to click it and read it and buy it. And you know, I, I'm not launching a book every single week. And I'm not talking about other authors' books every week. So I think it's a good way to kind of keep people up to date and keep your list engaged without having to come at them with a sale every single time. True that. True that. Well, I agree with all three of you. It's super important. Guys, if you have not started an email, do yourself a favor, hop on there, find one of the providers that you click with. We can always recommend you some if you want and just get it going. Just send stuff out because you'll find that things are a lot easier. It's a lot easier to sell books when you can send an email and reach 10,000 people. So, all right, moving on to our next story. Now, this is kind of weird and I'm going to preface this by saying that I do my dead level best to not really bring up politics on the show, right? I think it's like a rabbit hole that we could go down, right? And I assume that we're all for somewhere different on the spectrum, right? But I have to touch politics a little bit in this. So at least it's bipartisan, all right? The story is there's a bipartisan house bill that's aiming to rein in Amazon and the other big tech companies. On Friday, a bipartisan group of lawmakers in the House of Representatives introduce five bills that aim to rein in big tech companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple. And it says the moves parallel efforts by the European Union to regulate big tech more. And that seems to be one of the few areas where congressional Democrats and Republicans have still found common ground. So uh, all of this stuff here, I'm just kind of interested in it because, you know, we've all got a stake, so to speak, in, you know, Amazon and Facebook. And if you're wide, maybe Google and Apple and things like that. Obviously, none of this is going to really take them down or anything, but A, is there a reason to be trying to kind of rein in their monopoly, so to speak? And B, do you think it's worth it or do you think they should just be allowed to run amok? Let's see. I think I think Pip is the most socioeconomical economist thinking of us sometimes. <laughs> monopolies are definitely, so from all capitalist teaching, monopolies are suboptimal in any market. They can produce to their own set point instead of the market set point. And so you don't want that. And I mean, Amazon's going to come down one way or another at some point, right? It's not going to last forever. It'll, I mean, Blockbuster was huge for ages, whatever. Well, let's, talk, Amazon- let's talk more about this. I'm interested. <laughs> I just want to see what the fall of the Zon looks like in a futurist way of thinking. I don't think it's going to be you know? like a fall of the Zod with nothing to replace it. I think it's just something else is going to come along. If it keeps buying companies and just shoving their heads under the water and drowning them, eventually someone's going to come along that's going to start rising because it's not always incorporating those ideas, right? It's not like getting those ideas into itself, which would be a much better long-term strategy. So I just think, you know, it's kind of the way it goes. Companies have a dynastic cycle the same way that everything else does. I don't think it's going to go bankrupt or, you know, absent some gigantic scandal or something else. But yeah, I think, you know, eventually something will come up and either the market will do it really, really violently mm-hmm. or the market will be assisted by, I'm always interested by what Democrats and Republicans agree on mm-hmm. by this, which will probably make it a slightly gentler process. But Interesting. Jim, you look like you're bubbling up to the surface with things. <laughs> I'm very bubbly today. I, mean, I don't, I, I don't know if any. I don't know if anything is going to happen here because I mean, the combined might of Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple can dwarf any single country in this world. So I don't really think they're going anywhere. 
But the, I mean, there's one thing I like in here. We talked about this in the show before. There was a passive voice article that was related to this where it talks about in the ending monopolies act. That wasn't what the article about, but it's the platform company couldn't own businesses that create conflicts of interest, such as creating the incentive and ability for the platform to advantage its own products over competitors. That's what we were talking about previously with, uh, I don't remember what it was, but the Amazon sells one cup holder among thousands. So why should we care? That was the passive guy's take on it. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think Amazon should be able to advantage its own products over competitors. They definitely should not be able to do that. The one thing that makes me nervous about if Amazon is broken up is that selfishly, if the book business is split off on its own, I'm worried that it wouldn't be profitable enough on its own to sustain kind of further development into KDP and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've heard that that Amazon was really into books because Jeff Bezos liked them and he kept the division around even when it wasn't profitable because he just liked books. So if Amazon's on its own under the leadership of somebody else, who knows? Who knows what could happen? So mm. I want mommy and daddy to stay together because <laughs> I like that better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I dig it, man. I dig it. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Nick, what you got, man? Well, okay. This is a tricky one. I don't want to get into politics either. And I don't think I am by saying this, but I don't think this is a good idea simply because I know, historically speaking, why Republicans and Democrats come together to pass a bill. And the sole reason is that they're getting paid to do that, which means lobbies are coming together and saying, you need to take down tech companies because we're not making enough money. Trust me, politicians do not give a shit about any of this stuff. They just don't. No one can convince me otherwise, because if you're good enough to be a businessman or woman, you'll focus on that. It's a better way to make money. If you are good enough to be an oil tycoon, you're going to go do that. The only way you get good at being a politician is by lying, cheating, and stealing your way to the top. And I will go to my grave saying that. So I don't trust any of these men and women to make any decisions for the good of society. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I think this is a bad idea because I think the intention is completely manipulative. And you can see it right in the last Republican, Ken Buck, Colorado, he says, this legislation breaks up big tech's monopoly power to control what Americans see and say online. These guys are just scared that they're going to lose the ability to control us through mainstream media or whatever methods they go. Mm. So that's all I'm going to say. They, Congress mm. wants to maintain control. They want to maintain control of the narrative. I say, mm. I don't know. I just, I can't even with this politics stuff. I like it, man. Nick's got a real chaotic neutral vibe going on right now. You're all you're all against them. Oh, you're this, all against them. This is I'm like jokingly hating the Brits and jokingly hating my readers, but I'm not joking when I say the government can burn for all I care because it's not doing a damn thing in my interest. It's just the way it works. We've designed a system here, at least in America, where the people that are controlling what we do and what we get to see and say and all that stuff not only don't have our best interests in mind, they don't actually know what they're doing. Period. And I just want to make clear to the I just want to make clear to the NSA agent assigned to this podcast <laughs> that Nick's opinions don't necessarily reflect <laughs> the opinions of everyone on the show. Awesome. But they kind of do. I want to say that. I want to say that they do. <laughs> I want to go and say that they do. And also the NSA agent listening to this, you're doing a great job. You know, you're not a politician. You're just doing your job, yeah. man. That's that's just also how, I, I lost I, my I, keys and one of my backup files. So if you could do something, yeah. like if you could just like drop something in chat yeah, and let me like, know. Rewind the feed a little. Where I know put, where I put my key. Goddamn Microsoft <laughs> well, Word file. <laughs> that, okay, that's real pessimistic of me to say. But here's the deal: I, I truly believe that. But Jim is absolutely right. Pip is absolutely right. I think you know this is one of those things where you know if it actually goes through and all that, it could certainly change the face of what Amazon looks like. 
I'm not optimistic that it will go through for many reasons, but I mean, my opinion is that this is really stupid because I don't believe the intent behind it is anything but manipulative and hostile. Mm. I think it's interesting because, you know, if you asked your average person, if Google or Apple or Facebook was ever really in any jeopardy, they go, nah, they're going to be here forever. But if you went back a hundred years and asked the average person, like, how about Standard Oil or like Carnegie or like people like that? Be a trading yeah. Company. Yeah, exactly, dude. They'll be here forever. And now all of a sudden you're like, who was that? Like, who was that guy? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see how it all kind of pans out. So the only record will be the very rich heirs. Yeah, that's right. I don't know where the money came from. Something about faces. I think he was a surgeon. (laughs) Well played. All right, guys. Moving on to our third story. This is this is kind of interesting. It's a little out of the ordinary for us, but you know, it's about like kind of some copywriting and stuff like that. And let's see, it comes from the Chronicle of Higher Education, but I got it through the passive voice, so the passive guy. It says, it's been a rough few months for Sci-Hub, the beloved outlaw repository of scientific papers. I didn't know there was such a thing. In January, its Twitter account, which had more than 180,000 followers, was permanently suspended. In response to the lawsuit brought by publishers, new papers aren't being added to its library. The website is blocked in a dozen countries, including Austria, Britain, and France. There are rumors of an FBI investigation. And so, apparently... This woman started a site where they just give out papers that are like published in journals and stuff so people don't have to buy them. And now she's going to court and all this other kind of stuff. You guys heard about this kind of situation here? A ton of my friends are in academia. So there's a huge amount of vested profitable interest in controlling which articles are published, which articles are not making universities pay exorbitant amounts to access them. It's kind of been considered perfectly good etiquette for years. You'll see people say on Twitter, if you need access to one of my papers, just email me, I'll send you a PDF. I don't get anything. Like I'm not ever going to profit or see a single cent from your Elsevier account. Like Mm -hmm. I don't none of that trickles back to the authors or the people who did the work. So, I mean, yes, there are absolutely limits to all information should be public all the time. But Mm -hmm. in terms of peer-reviewed scientific research, I think having that more open is generally better. I think the amount of retreading that goes on because people have, well, this is a side note, but because negative results aren't published, but also because it's difficult to research and find out what's already been done and what avenues have already been looked at for research. It's like we could save a bunch of money and time collectively Mm. with that. Because I find it interesting that it says, so what's wrong with using Sci-Hub? According to the publishers who brought the case, uh, totally bogus. Yeah. Pirate (laughs) sites like Sci-Hub threaten the integrity of the scientific record and the safety of university and personal data. But the next paragraph says, for the record, there's very little evidence that Sci-Hub is actually a threat to the scientific record, which means more like money situation, right? Like somebody's not getting their, yeah. their coffers filled, huh? Yeah, but academic publishers themselves have a less than stellar record of policing and pruning the literature. And the other thing is that it's not necessarily something that should be pruned automatically. Like if someone gets results that contradict someone else's, that's not necessarily that either one of them is wrong. It's not necessarily that both of the papers should be taken off the record or what if the other one had come first? It's like you want things to be replicable. 
right? Mm -hmm. But you want that whole process to be part of scientific record. And I think that's much more an argument for having more cohesive linking structures to be like, someone cited this article Mm -hmm. and disagreed with it. Yeah. And now, do you guys think that there's anything just regarding the copyright situation? The case that this woman seems to be kind of resting her hat on hoping to win uh, was kind of filed in India. And so is that because she's they're kind of out of other places because Australia, Britain and France? Is that because the looser copyright laws and IP and stuff like that? Or what? What do you guys what's that about? I have zero idea. It's hmm. um, a good question. My guess is that there might just be like I know that India has finally started reversing brain drain so there might be a ton of research that's going on mm-hmm. and it might be a particularly profitable market for Elsevier. Huh. Interesting. But Interesting. I have no idea. All right. Well, that was just a weird one I, you know, we see pirating a lot in our books and things like that and the usual advice that people are given is ah don't worry about it those aren't your readers anyway you know and stuff like that but it was just interesting to see somebody slugging it out so much over copyright and pirating and things like that it is also because the people whose work is turning the profit are not the people who are seeing the profit so it's just so divorced from anything else in this case that it i have less of a like i see a self elsevier as a sort of like hanger on middleman mm. thing it's like they're not an integral part of this mm. i could be wrong but like mm. that's certainly the vibe i've gotten okay right on you chaps got anything to add not really okay right on right on all right so if you guys will give me a second here i have to go to my front porch and i have to sit in a rocking chair uh, <laughs> you know with a beer in one hand and a, and a old like side-by-side shotgun in the other <laughs> All right. And I need to scream at the kids to get off my lawn. All right. (laughs) For the next story, TikTok is taking the book industry by storm and retailers are taking notice. Get off my lawn, little kids. All right. Book talk has sent old books back to the top of bestseller lists and helped launch careers of new authors. Videos with the book talk hashtag have been viewed a collective 12.6 billion times so do i need to be on tiktok is this a thing probably not i mean this is the same book talk is the same thing there was you know booktube on youtube and bookstagram exactly and the thing is i'm not going to dismiss book talk because it seems like it's pretty big but i think that this will probably appeal to the same kinds of books and same kinds of readers that were doing booktube and bookstagram. I think this would probably be big for YA, urban fantasy, some kinds of romance, big name romance authors probably, and book club fiction, the kind of stuff that you see on booktube and bookstagram. This would be the same. And until TikTok is full of 65-year-old white women from the Southern United States, then it's not really, my audience isn't there. Interesting. I may be on booktalk soon. I have not had a TikTok account, Uh. but I just hired a publicity group to like be doing various admin stuff and also advertising. And they were like, are you on book talk? You should be on book talk. I told them just to tell me what to do and where to be. And I would do the thing. Mm. It's mostly to get the, the effort of figuring out what to do out of my head. So yeah, well, it sounds <laughs> like you know. your books might get some play on there. Right. Cause like maybe like the sci-fi kind of stuff or like the fantasy might. with like cool kind of images and stuff, you know, it could, it definitely could. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just looked at the four book talk videos that NBC News put on their page, and all these people are far better looking than I am. Three of them are young ladies. One of them's a young man. I don't know that it's the books. 
selling <laughs> the books, if you know what I mean. Oh, and so I don't think there's a whole lot of people who are going to be interested people. in a, a fat white guy telling them what books to buy. I think I'd probably just be accused of mansplaining. So I'm going to stay away from this one. Well, huh. if you're feeling kind of weird about your looks, apparently there's a guy who does good work on faces and he <laughs> might be able to take care of you in exchange for a little money for his uh, kids' inheritance down the road. So I could do a deep fake. Yeah, there you go. Deep fake. Yeah, also you could use like those Snapchat filters. There it would be go. funny That's to true. to have Nick use the ones that are designed for like no, like the super pointy chin and the big doe eyes with the long lashes and yeah. the mm. red lips. <laughs> I would look good like that. Maybe. <laughs> no, yeah. not, Maybe I'll try that. You've convinced me. All right. So I think that if TikTok is somewhere that you like to be and you like to hang out, then I think you should probably figure out how to book talk. And if it's not, and you're still sitting on your front porch in your rocking chair, then maybe don't. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But we will follow Pippa's journey through the book talk world at various intervals as we go forward. And maybe she'll have some good stuff to tell us about how things are kind of shaking out. Yeah, I'm an old woman. I've got gray in my hair. Don't. We'll see how it works for people like us. (laughs) At least you got hair, (laughs) sister. All right. All right, guys. I think that's going to do us for this week. We're coming up to a pretty good timeline. I forgot to bring something. I sent an email out last week for the first time in a couple months because my friend and confidant, Mr. Nick Dacker, was having some specials running. And one of the emails that I got in return was both cranky and from a British person. And so I wanted to read it to Nick. I wanted to read it to Nick. Hold on. Let me see, guys. Hold on. Let me see. I wanted to read it in return. And I figured the least you can do is figure out how to help me respond to this since it was your property. Okay, here we go. You got to even read it to me. I'll help you respond without even hearing it. Here we go. Thank you for being subtle enough to realize that everyone in the world does not celebrate the 4th of July because I said, hey, happy 4th of July. If you don't celebrate the 4th, happy weekend, whatever, right? He said, particularly if you are British, as it happens, I get all sorts of emails offering to celebrate that particular date. Doesn't bode too well if you are British and have had your arse kicked. I do find this a lot with the internet. With the being U.S.-based, most things tend to be U.S.-oriented or flavored. Please forgive my little moan, but so many people take so much for granted. <laughs> I won't read okay. his name. I, I'm right, sorry, this, you're um, upset that up. some people lost a colony? <laughs> like, when you lost the war, get over it. <laughs> um, new line. Listen here, you little shit. Play the outro music. Let's go. It's getting get worse. <laughs> All right, guys. It is, man. Actually, yeah, that's a pretty well tempered. That's a well tempered response. I'm surprised that they didn't start devolving into just fanatical like, expletives, like there most was, of the Brit readers I get. There were a few ones that wouldn't be appropriate for the show. I'll share with you offline. So, well, if we don't have anything else. I don't think we do. All right, guys. For all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm Ari McGee saying, I love the Brits. Thanks for listening and reading. And this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>